0: It was the New Mutants? Did you see that trailer? Did you see the trailer for it?
1: Uh, I don't remember. I th- I might have. I don't r- recall it. If I did,
0: <laughs> you want to watch it? Or are you good?
1: Uh, sure. I mean, right. yeah, we should be able to talk about it, right? I guess maybe I'd be like less dickish about it if I've actually seen it. Will they ever give up on the X Men? You think? The reason you survived is because you're a very uncommon girl. Ooh, let's do the podcast like this. You're not alone. Not anymore.
0: Do you know what mutants are? Would anyone like to share their first time? Rain, I was 13.
1: Oh, for fuck's sake. sake. (laughs)
0: Welcome to Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zero. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. i tell you to visit us Hate Critics.net, but I've had to kind of redo stuff there and update <laughs> it and all, so it's not the most up-to-date at the moment. Uh, uh, but it's the links to Patreon and the merch is still there. Uh, there's just more work to be done. and Libson also gives us our own page, so we could always go to that. I don't know. We'll just. There's some things that in the works there so i apologize if it's not totally up to date uh, <laughs> uh but we are at i Hate critics.net and all that stuff facebook t- twitter instagram the handles critics pod follow us there like us there uh that's where most of the interaction happens you can see the trailers read sean's reviews and uh youtube we're there as well uh is YouTube. I hate critics, but I don't know. I don't really know. I never looked at the just link Just search, yeah, the name yeah, of the show. Start, everyone's a critic podcast, and you'll find us.
1: There you go.
0: Patreon, I hate critics.net, slash Patreon is the best one to help support the podcast. And then the podcast merch tab at I hate critics.net as well. We do have the three new designs. I just have to put them up and get them together. Uh, it's a matter of doing it. Not that hard. Sean, uh, J- Cousin Jeff's done the hard work. I just yeah. got to do the easy part. But you know how I am. It'll be out there in March. Uh, this week, uh, you can start with the Golden Globes. I guess I, I feel like it's our it's a movie podcast, so <laughs> you might as well. What did you think?
1: I didn't watch it because it's hosted by Ricky Gervais, who is a, a personality that I don't personally care for. Um, not because we, oh, he we criticizes celebrities. I don't care who he criticizes. He can criticize whoever he wants. I just don't I don't care for him as a human being. I don't think he's a good person, and I just don't pay attention to what he does. So I didn't watch any of that stuff. You can tweet it at me, whatever you want. I don't care. I'm not going to watch it. But uh, I did pick up the results. Uh, I wasn't particularly... Surprised, nineteen seventeen is a very good movie, and we'll talk about it in just a little bit. But it is also the compromise choice; it's the easiest possible uh, choice for most of the academy, Uh, you know, for the Golden Globe audience as well. It's the it's a nice, it's a safe way to go because it's an artistic, uh, challenging movie. It's got a got a pedigree director. And I know it sounds like I'm criticizing. It. I don't mean to criticize it. It's just it's quite good. But it, it's the easy choice. Joker is the much harder choice, and I don't like Joker, but it is a much more challenging choice to go with a comic book movie that has a, a sort of edgy subject matter. It would be a much edgier choice uh, yeah. than than uh, the other one. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood itself is also in in kind of in a way is kind of an easier choice than than a lot of the other options. Right.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of with you, and yeah i i don't necessarily share completely your opinion on ricky gervais but i don't like his stand up at all i don't think he's like like he could say something funny but it's still the same kind of thing that's you could say in your own base there's no art to his stand up it's just kind of random shitty saying whether you agree or disagree doesn't matter i just to me it lacks the art of stand-up comedy uh so i'm not a huge fan of it either uh (laughs) And I mean, I,
1: I've talked about some of this stuff before, and I guess I'll say just a little bit of it. Just that criticizing trans people is the, is the possibly the worst thing you can do in this day and age. Uh, taking shots at, at them, and that's what he does. He likes to do that pretty regularly on Twitter, and that right. is a that is a line I will not cross. Well, uh, not you can't don't cross that with me because I, I will cut you off completely.
0: Well, and the other thing that he does that seems so edgy, like he he rips on the establishment well he's part of the establishment he's one of the more powerful guys in hollywood in terms of a comedian so it's not really that edgy what he's doing
1: you yeah know? he also whines about pc and people trying to silence him you're a multi-millionaire well, yeah, dude you science. just hosted the golden right. globes who's trying to silence you
0: that's yeah there's no he's not being silent it's just kind of
1: <laughs> there are people if, if there are people in the world right now who have less power than anyone it's trans people they have the least power of anybody, so just to say that they've tried to silence anyone is silly.
0: Right, it's, to me, yeah, the whole thing's goofy, and I don't enjoy and not the trans stuff, the right. Ricky Gervais stuff, uh, and just the show overall was kind of lame. I liked Joaquin Phoenix's acceptance speech, acceptance speech, but that's just because I'm vegan and <laughs> <laughs> uh, New Mutants trailer. Uh, just
1: a quick aside on Joaquin Phoenix, though, I was like, I was. Flipping through Facebook, and I caught one of those uh, troll headlines: uh, "Joker star arrested." I'm like, "Oh shit! What did, what happened?" He got arrested at a climate protest alongside right. Jane Fonda right. and several other people who are promoting. Like, <laughs> he didn't he didn't run over a child with his car or something. Right and making it out like he did something so horrible.
0: Yeah, no, the whole I don't know. I hate talking about award shows in general, mm-hmm. but. That seems to be the number two, even though it's a very silly award show compared to even the Oscars, yeah. which is we've
1: Whereas the is. Critics' Choice Awards, which are taking place tonight, now this is a legitimate award show that.
0: <laughs> legitimate ish. <laughs> There's still some safety there too. I know you didn't vote safe, but a lot no, of them didn't. did.
1: No, I I voted for Uncut Gems over I don't uh, get everything that. Else. I
0: don't understand why Uncut Gems isn't getting in the- It
1: it boggles my mind and I <laughs> I am the I am the person who hates Adam Sandler more than anybody. Uh and I voted for Adam Sandler for best actor because Uncut Gems is undeniable. I voted over Tarantino. I picked the Safdie brothers for best director. <laughs> Uh, and I voted for Uncut Gems because Midsummer wasn't nominated. <laughs> <laughs> nominated in only one category, Best Horror, where it got my vote.
0: And if you happen to uh, check out our Facebook page, Sean claims he could win an Adam Sandler trivia contest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I could, I, I, sadly.
0: Yeah, but I think everybody could, which makes it—it's <laughs> kind of <laughs> one of those things where everybody knows everything. That's how. We'll, that's Maybe why uh, That's
1: why our team will be participating. Oh, you are doing it? <laughs> Only if you are.
0: Oh, when is that? I wasn't even paying April. attention. Right when New Mutants comes out. So let's... <laughs> 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 so you're going to rely on me to win the Adam Sandler. <laughs>
1: uh, New Mutants,
0: what did you think about New Mutants?
1: Uh, Jeez, uh, this is... Uh, they're never going to give up on this whole X-Men thing ever, are they? It's just never going to... Well, they're not going to give up on any property that has any kind of vague name value. Um I like the actresses, you know, Maisie Williams and uh, Anya Taylor Joy are pretty great. Uh this is a pretty generic horror movie setup that happens to have mutants in it. Um the, the I rolled my eyes pretty hard during the. There's like this therapy scene in the trailer, and when was the first time? When did it have? When was the, your first time? Like really, you just getting, that. That's where we're going to go with this. Right. It's all mu- mutation is all about uh, what sex and uh, po- and puberty. That's all that the, the mutation is about. It's not. Uh, let's just 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 hammer home that metaphor a little bit harder, please. Ugh, so eye rolling.
0: I know. I mean. The X Men in general was a metaphor, but now you can't. It's hard to build upon, you know, keep.
1: Or just trying way to be it. subtle about it. <laughs> right.
0: Because that was the thing. The original metaphor is pretty subtle. You had yeah. to kind of go. In the comic book, it was underground. No one really knew what it was. It got more and more popular throughout the years. But yeah, now that when they're. I don't know. It's just. It's back to the whole the whole IP thing.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, that, that's the kind of thing that just, they're talking down to the audience with that, uh, you know, making it being so blunt about, uh, that metaphor, but then there's a lot of confusing elements to this trailer too. Cause I mean, it's a, they're talking about how this entity inside this, uh, prison that they're in these mutant teenagers, uh, acting upon their worst fears, but then they show Anya Taylor-Joy can basically turn herself into metal, I guess, or something. So what the hell is she afraid of? <laughs> <Like> just <laughs> But there's scenes where she's running around completely terrified, like something is going to kill her. Well, maybe, maybe they'll explain it in the movie that she was under some sort of thing where they took away her powers. I don't know. I hope that's the case, because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> You get the power to turn yourself into metal. What is it that you're afraid of? The it starts off with her saying, I killed eighteen men one by one. Right. Like so she's this badass character, but then she's running around terrified like an average teenager later on in the trailer.
0: Well, it's just like your average teenager though. They over talk, they oversell <laughs> themselves
1: yeah and again I, that's that's just for the trailer i'm sure maybe in the movie they'll work that out a little bit better but the added scene with the with the therapy and it just sort of it it speaks to me of the laziness a, that that seems to imply that this is going to be a, a lazy thing overall which we'll talk about in another movie which implied its own laziness in its trailer and proves out when you see the movie
0: I know what that is. (laughs) Yeah, it's just back to your typical, the IP thing we have been talking about. The ones that were done in the boardroom, where where it's just simply like, where where can we make money? What do we need the budget to be? What will it it make on its own without us even trying? And this is one of those movies where, you know, at least, like, Little Women and even The Joker are two movies that, you know, at least use an IP and made it good. Uh... Because of the Golden Globes, the number one movie at the box office this week was 1917. Was
1: it? How'd yeah. it do? I didn't 36. see the 36.5 million. awesome. Wow. That's way bigger than I would have expected for this movie, but I guess that means the older audience turned out on an opening weekend for once. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, 1917 is directed by Sam Mendes and stars uh, George McKay, and uh, I don't remember the other guy's name off the top of my head. Uh, but the two guys, he, soldiers in World War One, they're on the, they're just behind the German front, uh, and they're uh, assigned a task. They've got to go from one side of the front line to the other to get to a, uh, a platoon or whatever they call it, a regime regiment held up, head up, headed up by uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. They've got to stop him from launching an attack. He thinks the Germans are retreating. They're not. They're leading them into a trap and some 2,000 soldiers are going to die if these two guys can't get there in time to stop it. Um, clever and uh, smart premise. Uh, I don't know how much based on a true story it is, but... Uh,
0: right, it was kind of based on stories as Grandpa yeah. told him or something like that.
1: Uh, stories passed down through time, legends about World War One. you know, and and it certainly plays on the, you know, the what we think of World War One is this brutal, ugly, muddy uh, mess, and certainly this movie captures that. It's quite visceral. The, uh, the main thing to know about this movie is the style. Uh, Sam Mendez directed the movie as if it were shot in one take. Uh, so the camera is uh, chasing around these two characters, and there appears to be no, you know, shifts like you no know, perspective changes It's one shot following them throughout which is a different way to approach a, making a movie you know usually you're you're shifting you're cutting from perspective to perspective to give you a better sense of you know perspectives of each character is that kind of thing uh there's no breaks here it's just now there are edits oh well, yeah
0: they clearly don't do it in one cut right. but right
1: this is edited, but uh, it's edited to look as if it were one shot throughout, which is, again, it's a very unique and interesting stylistic choice. It certainly worked in the trailer, and it works on the movie. Uh, overall, this really movie really works from beginning to end. It's a visceral, exciting, uh, gripping experience. It's, it's gross and horrifying, and uh, the little touches of humanity that you see are, are almost immediately punished. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but in a way that makes sense and isn't just mere cynicism acting out in a movie form. Uh, so I liked that approach. I liked the the, the payoffs of the of the story were really great. And these two young actors are really good at uh, compelling you with their presence. You know, they don't get much time to to build into actual characters and become uh, anything more than just sort of emotional stand-ins. But the little touches of them we do get are enough. And I, I thought the connecting them emotionally, but having one guy have a brother that he's got to get to in order to save his life, certainly uh, it stacks the odds in a way that are that are interesting. It creates uh, stakes that are uh, dramatic enough to drive everything while you're experiencing the style of the movie. So it really worked on me. I think it's an an exceptional movie. And uh, at the very least, it, when this wins Best Picture, we won't be as embarrassed as when Green, Green Book won. <laughs> I
0: don't know. I kind of... I don't know. It's, it's still safe, which yeah. is embarrassing. I mean, we liked Green Book at the time. We just kind of said it was a movie that was too hard to dislike, which makes it, which then over time makes you dislike it because you start skipping it was, things. It like, was
1: desperately overpraised, though. Right. I don't the, think this one is desperately overpraised.
0: When's the best picture? It comes desperately the That's the thing. It's also too new to be desperately overpraised. As far, I don't know. I just I like it, but I'm the same. Boat. it's just... It, it was kind of like if Spotlight had come out in a year when all these great movies came out, would I feel the same way about Spotlight? A fantastic movie, but, you know, it just kind of there wasn't a whole lot of art pictures that year, and this year, there were just so many great movies like Midsummer and Gem, Uncut Gems, and all these, everything twenty four did, uh, not to mention, then you throw in the Tarantino movies, it, it just... I don't know. I liked it, but at the same time, it was just kind of like one Birdman. I thought did it better. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it's not. I mean, it's unique because there's not a whole lot of movies you can say did it. But right. at the same time, Birdman just did it a few years ago.
1: And Birdman, uh, arguably, much more challenging in, right. how, it, in how it did that. It, where where this movie is just a chase, you know, it's an right. action movie. It makes it actually a little bit easier.
0: It almost made it look out of necessity too, because yeah. of the small spaces they were going through. Right. Uh, there's times where, you know. Snipers are missing him <laughs> pretty when they probably wouldn't have. I don't know. It was World War One, yeah. But at the same time, I mean, he got shot at a lot by a sniper and didn't get touched. So there was that kind of bugged me a little bit. Overall, it's a good movie. It's a very good movie. Borderline great movie. Uh-huh. There's just so many. I mean, it's not. He also
1: survives being blown up,
0: right? <laughs> so there's just a lot of. But at the same time, not everybody does. So it's right. not. I can't sit there and you know people come home from war and everybody dies yeah so it's not fair either it's just one of those where I'm sitting here going well this isn't as good as Midsummer. this isn't as good as this, this isn't as good as that. and it's not fair to this movie yeah. and on top of that I didn't watch it on like an awesome IMAX screen I just watched it on a regular screen at the theater and it, yeah. I don't know if that matters or not uh, but I mean it's good I just I'm sitting here going this isn't as good as Birdman it's not as good as, as, good as that and that's not how you're supposed to watch movies, but th- that's what this one suffered from. Is I kept comparing it to other things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've resigned myself uh, to the fact that movies like Waves and Uncut Gems are not going to get the praise that they deserve. So I was. It makes me. It makes it a little easier for me to be kind to 1917 because I've given up. <laughs> I've been right. beaten into submission on that. So.
0: And I'm not... Again, it's a great movie. I just... It's not gonna... It doesn't hit my top ten, you know? No, not me either. If I'm counting it towards last year, like I think I'm supposed to. Uh, But, I mean, I'm glad it did well. It's good that movies like this do get success, because it's way better than New Mutants or something like that. (laughs) Or really anything else that came out this week, with the exception of one other movie. Uh but, yeah, I mean, it's out there. Go see it. It's worth seeing. Yeah, definitely check it
1: out. Uh, I think I think they're actually showing it in D-Box in Davenport, which is the moving chairs, which ought to be an interesting experience for this. Maybe. So if you have a D-Box theater where, this, where the chairs move.
0: I'm curious what your thoughts are, if nothing else. I've only really seen one movie where I thought that really worked, and that was the F- Ford versus Ferrari that... It just really knocked it out of the park.
1: Really worked in in uh, in Fast and Furious. That's for oh, sure. i sure a lot of it. <laughs> uh, it almost feels inappropriate for something that's based off of a true World War One story.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true.
1: <laughs> like you should. This is not something you're supposed to enjoy.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, it's out there. Go see it. Uh, try to get it to 100 million. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next most successful movie of the week. Like a Boss.
1: Like a Boss, starring Tiffany Haddish and Rose Byrne, Salma Hayek, directed by Miguel Arteta, who's not a bad director, but he certainly can make some pretty bad movies, and this is a pretty bad movie. Uh, like a Boss is about two women running their own cosmetics company and uh, enter a large city here. Um, no idea there's no no setting whatsoever uh they have they're they're uh, struggling they've got one successful product that one successful product is not enough to keep them going uh but they that one successful tr- product attracts the attention of salma hayek as claire luna this very successful uh, makeup magnate she wants to buy them uh and their company and this one product and Uh, they resist that, and her way of getting it is to try and drive a wedge between the two friends and see if she can end their friendship so she can take their company from them. And that's the whole thing. And the movie is 82 minutes long. Nice. Get out of there. (laughs) Well, and even then, it's padded because they add in three extra characters uh, into this movie. Uh, Nicole Rothwell, uh, Jessica St. Clair, and Ari Grainer are added in as... Old friends of Mia and Mel, the main characters, and they have absolutely nothing to do with main with the main plot. They add like twenty minutes to the movie with them. Uh, they're basically on hand, and they're so lazily employed that they basically shame Mia and Mel for for not being married and with children. And I realize that it's not this movie is too lazy and inept to have a point. (laughs) So they're not making this point, but it comes off like they're basically saying, if you're a woman, you can't be successful unless you have a baby and are married and then have a company. And then you're a girl boss. Like you got to, and that's just such a shitty message. It's such a shitty conventional message to send that there's only one type of success. And this movie doesn't necessarily push these two characters toward that, but it certainly does imply that very heavily. Accidentally, Incidentally, because this movie doesn't think about anything other than raunchy jokes that aren't very funny. Like, the Jessica St. Clair character is basically here in this movie, and she's pregnant, and the only point of that is so they can have this bit that you've seen in the trailer where she's given a cake that looks like a baby emerging from a vagina. That's the joke. That's the, it. That's the beginning, the end, the middle and the end of the joke is that visual. And it's... There's no point to that, and there's a whole scene of them at this baby shower that is just essentially there to kind of shame these two for not being more grown up, and then they move on, and they sell their company and become millionaires and blah, blah, blah. There's nothing funny here. Tiffany Haddish is basically doing the Tiffany Haddish stick at this point. Uh, Rose Byrne is uh, kind of flailing about, uh, screeching, trying to physically force you into a, a laugh via her just. Energy And that doesn't work. And Salma Hayek is really the only good thing in the movie. She's very relaxed in her villainy and, and uh, cartoonish. And she's, you know, seems to be making the movie on her own. And it makes sense, the last time Mikhail Arteta directed a good movie was Beatrice at Dinner, and that was all about Salma Hayek, so I think maybe that was <laughs> I think he just likes her a lot and maybe that's what he's directing towards her, as opposed to everybody else is just lazily directed toward doing, you know, things that are just very expected.
0: I didn't go see it, for obvious reasons, but it seems like the type of movie where whenever you have a comedian that's you know, becoming successful as an actor, it's Almost like you need to lower the bar a little bit and then just rely on them to do their thing. You know, the Kevin Hart's, the uh, Tiffany Haddish. I, it sounds like this too. They're trying too much with more of an ensemble, and she's doing her shtick, but she's also doing it as a small role instead of that being the movie (laughs) you know uh
1: i I mean she's the main she is the main focus she and rose byrne
0: but But she and rose byrne is the kind of the. usually there's i don't know and then you throw in Salma hikes and they got three kind of main (laughs) and really you need to rely on that comedian to just be like oh this kind of wasn't as bad as i thought because they were fun to watch but instead it sounds like they're trying to do too much And just, I don't know.
1: I think they just didn't have enough. I mean, 82 minutes. I think they just didn't have enough material. And they're just, you know, she's flailing about trying to create laughs where there aren't any in the script. They basically have a story. to work. uh, They have a concept to work on. And that's pretty much it.
0: Well, that's what I'm getting at. I mean, it's both. It's. There, it's not the story's too weak, but at the same time, when it's that weak, just let the comedian run the movie <laughs> and have Rose Byrne step aside and just kind of be there and lose the other friends and just make it sixty minutes. It doesn't. <laughs> you don't have to make a ninety-minute movie. You yeah. really don't.
1: Um, but, I think it'd be. I think the minimum to be considered a uh, feature length is eighty minutes.
0: Who cares?
1: <laughs> but
0: not for, what's that for what to win an oscar i don't know
1: (laughs) i don't honestly know
0: so it's a short (laughs) an hour long short but yeah it looked like shit uh i like everybody involved but at the same time the nothing from the trailer looked entertaining although people laughed every time i saw it in the theater so (laughs) what do i know uh let's move on the next most successful movie was just mercy
1: just mercy starring uh um michael b. michael jordan, b jordan Kenny and uh, fox uh Brie Brie larson. larson and uh this is a, based off of a true story of a uh of a lawyer uh named uh brian stevenson who's uh in the 1980s decided to go into business as a as a, a social justice lawyer uh where he was going to move into the south and defend death row inmates and uh he finds his niche right away because in Alabama they have a half a dozen guys who are sitting on death row who weren't guilty. Uh, this is based off of a true story. This really did happen. Uh, these guys were railroaded into into jail for reasons that uh, once he takes starts taking a look at the case, going, were these guys even defended by anybody? Um, the system was so ridiculously corrupt that it. It took him maybe a couple appeals on some of these guys just to, just to have them looked at and, okay, we have to let them go because there's just no possible way that these guys were guilty. Uh, in the case of the Jamie Foxx character, he's nowhere near anywhere of this murder, but he gets picked up uh, because of other reasons and, and is convicted off of basically not having been defended in any way. And uh, that's the story. And then we're going to watch him struggle against this system that refuses to admit admit that it's wrong or refuses to admit that it's based off of racism. And... And he's going to fight that and turn it around. And you know, I made fun of this trailer uh, back a while back because it was very John
0: Grisham. Yeah,
1: but also just it, that, that sort of Hollywood right. you know, choice of this is what people look like, and it's all where you know Jamie Fox has this ridiculous mustache in there. Thankfully, that's very minimal in the right. movie. They keep that to a very, uh, very short scene, and it's, he he looks far less silly in the movie than he did in the trailer.
0: But even um, the guy from the Coen Brother movies, uh, he looks silly in the trailer, but in the movie... It, Tim
1: Blake Nelson. Yeah, Tim
0: Blake Nelson. That's more effective and it yeah. works in the movie.
1: It does have uh, elements like a of the Law and Order episode, but uh, and this is... Uh uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, who did uh, Short Term 12, so he's you know he may have a bigger budget here, but he still he directs the movie as if it, he has a ten million dollar budget, you know, because he's not worried about frills and and uh, spending lots of money. He, he's making a very dignified, very straightforward legal drama about our true story, and I, I like his approach. I like that this is a very dignified movie. That this is not a movie that's uh, you know a lot of other directors might have used this to try and just. You know, wrench tears out of your eyes, reach into your eyelids and just try and pull tears out. That's not what he's doing here, but you're going to cry anyway because it's that good of a -hmm. story, that well told of a story, and that much uh, in that much of a national shame (laughs) as well, which is uh, not doesn't get enough attention. That this is the this level of shame that we should all feel. That this was. 35 years ago guys <laughs> they were 35 years ago we had and i'm sure there are still oh, it's today still but happening but uh 35 years ago we had you know 12 innocent men on death row in alabama
0: yeah it's it's one of those movies that's really frustrating it's some things happen which is like okay this should end now and oh, no, how what okay uh, it's very good. Uh, I, I suppose it's one of those movies where if it was getting the praise like 1917 was, I I could probably turn on it too. But because it is, you know, for the most part being overlooked, uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, growing up, you know, in like junior high when John Gresham started really, like when The Firm came out and all that stuff, I, I read A Time to Kill and I thought that was the most amazing thing ever because I was a kid and it was a pretty, you know, pulpy book. Uh, the movie came out, Joel Schumacher, very, very fine, fine movie. It's good. Uh, I thought this was going to be like that. And it's way more real. It's very, trying way harder. Yeah. Not that that one didn't try, but that would definitely had that Hollywood thing you were talking about. This one was just based in reality. Uh, the trailer didn't do it favors. Even Brie Larson in the trailer, it's just kind of like, really? <laughs> but the movie itself is just very, very good. It's very, it, it pulls no punches. It hits hard. And it's, just the whole way through it's it had my focus and uh it brought out the emotions it was supposed to bring out and just very very good i highly recommend it especially when it comes to streaming i think people are gonna i think that's where it's gonna find its audience and Uh, It's really, really good. I mean, I don't really know what else to say about it.
1: It's based off of a best-selling book, and I wonder, you know, sometimes having a best-selling book is good. Sometimes having a best-selling book makes people go, I don't know that story. (laughs) I don't need to see the movie. I've already seen that. Uh, It's funny. A Time to Kill. I used to love A Time to Kill. Mm -hmm. uh, When I was a kid. As you get older. (laughs) Yeah, when I was a kid, like that, uh, the scene where he goes, now imagine that they're white. And it's like, oh my God, what a moment. Now I'm like watching it down, like, oh, it's so cringe. It's so cringe. Right. No one's going to. In real life, everybody's going to be like, I am. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Troll culture's ruined that movie. But it's
0: also, I don't know. That's the
1: world we live yeah. in. Yeah. It's world. also Joel Schumacher and very directed very basically once you uh, have, the, have the tools to recognize that.
0: Right. No, it, it's. I don't know. It, it's always frustrates me the lack of accountability. Uh, even in like even like the West Memphis Three, which is not based on racism at all. I mean, it's based on prejudice. But at the end, when they got out, they had to agree that they did nothing. You know, the that the courts and the police didn't do anything wrong. They weren't wrong. In their, <laughs> so and it's same with this kind of story and probably a lot of those convictions. That's probably how they got stuff overturned was not admitting fault. It's just frustrating and annoying. And, yeah. Uh, movies like this tend to always work with me and it's, you know, it's not, I mean, every movie is a work of art, whether you like it or not, but it's not the kind that's, it's very, it's a movie you're not going to, it's impossible to hate unless you're a true racist, I suppose. Uh, It's, I don't know. A lot of ways, you know, kind of like Green Book without the attention. <laughs> it's, it's a very, it's a very good movie. It's very likable. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's hard, you'd be, you'd have to be a total asshole to not like this movie. Really,
1: it's very dignified and, right. and uh, well put together as well, and that should be acknowledged and well acted. I think Brian Stevenson should be uh, hailed as a uh, as a true hero, and I don't think like this the the fact that this is you know, the first time I've heard about him is really. Right. Uh, that's really ridiculous. This guy should be everywhere.
0: It makes you wonder how often it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, underwater.
1: Underwater uh, stars Kristen Stewart as the, as an engineer on an underwater oil rig um, at the bottom of the ocean. Um, the weird thing about this this movie was completed in 2017 and put on the shelf. Uh, some people have theorized that it was about the Disney deal that they were trying to... you know, Disney was kind of holding up a number of different movies you know, based off of what they wanted to do with them. So Fox was like, okay, we can't release anything until we've completed the deal. Some people also have theorized that there was a lot of hate at the time for Kristen Stewart and the, uh, trying to find a time when that would die down a little bit to put out a movie she's in. I don't buy into that necessarily, but
0: the former sounds like the reason most likely (laughs) more
1: logical and you know more simplistic but uh i i think kristen stewart's awesome and uh, this movie is actually pretty good (laughs) which is a real shame that it comes out in january and comes out with this story of having been on the shelf for so long because it creates a perception and obviously this movie failed pretty badly right uh
0: well it made less than 10 million I don't know if that counts as a failure. I
1: don't know, because I don't know what the budget was. But uh, basically, the idea here is that they're underwater. She's uh, one night about to go to bed. She's getting ready for bed. And then she walks out into the hallway. And she's obviously, she's in an underwater rig. So if you see water dripping in an underwater rig that's supposed to be airtight, scary moment. And she sells that moment brilliantly. Like, she really recognizes right away, oh, Shit. (laughs) So she starts running and explosions start to happen and she's banging on doors trying to get other people up and and moving to uh, get to someplace safe. Uh, She and another guy are the only ones who survive. So right off the bat, you've got what you can assume is a whole lot of death. Uh, Then there are other parts of the uh, rig that have also collapsed. So the movie really does a great job in putting you in very tight spaces. And if you're someone like me who hates tight spaces, it's really uncomfortable and really effective. Uh, this movie uses that a couple of times. Uh, Then it uh, suspends you inside of an underwater suit, because the only way they're going to get out of there is once she hooks up with the captain and a couple of other characters in this movie, uh, Matthew Castle, T.J. Miller, uh, Jessica Henwick, uh, John Gallagher Jr. Uh, Once that happens, then she's they, they have to get into these underwater suits and so they have to walk across the bottom of the ocean to get to one of the other older rigs that may have some escape pods in it. Uh, this is a sci-fi movie. Uh, I know that's not coming through from my description, but there's a whole sci-fi thing that's going to happen. And it, basically, it is an underwater ripoff of aliens for the most part, but it's a well-made underwater ripoff of aliens with actors that you like and characters that you come to care about and I, I I liked it, and T.J. Miller dies horribly. So that's another great thing about this movie: is watching him die horribly.
0: Yeah, talk about a guy whose career is just starting to go. I was shocked. Now it makes sense that it's two years old. But I'm like, oh, he's still doing stuff. Uh, I used to love him too. It's it seems like the type of movie that people were ready to shit on. Because yeah. the critics definitely are. 50 50 on it which makes it rotten on rotten tomatoes sure. uh one of the reviews i read is said, like alien only shitty uh, <laughs> but it
1: that's <laughs> really that's a shitty review <laughs> right well it,
0: it, that's that's a lazy review is what it is yeah and I don't know. I, is
1: this movie great? I mean, I don't think it's great, but I was inter- I was kind of compelled by it and entertained by it, and uh, I liked uh, I liked Kristen Stewart a lot. I think she's a really great actress.
0: I like Kristen Stewart. I, I don't like the Twilight movies, but she's not yeah. the reason why I don't like them. I, right?
1: And I mean, Charlie's Angels was a bad idea, but she's not terrible in it. She's having a good time. Right. So. The
0: idea what they messed up with Charlie's Angels is they took an action movie and made it. A, there was no action, from what I understand. It was yeah. just kind of all a talking movie and. Released at a bad time, and then you got a star who's not on social media to help promote it at all, which yeah. is what's.
1: Chris why is what she Why it. is she not on social media, though? Is because most people would just send her hate tweets all which day. Just stupid. Yeah. Uh,
0: some of her underground movies aren't bad; they're pretty decent. She's definitely good in them, if nothing else. So I, I don't know. I think it's just shitty that I don't know that. You know, they were just ready to shit in out from the get-go. And I
1: think so. I think people were out, out to get this movie from moment one, and that's really a shame. Because she's very good. And T.J. Miller dies horribly. How does he die? <laughs> He's underwater. He's wearing the suit. Uh, he gets basically just, like, exploded inside the suit. Oh, awesome. So, yeah.
0: Even if I liked him, the would be a cool <laughs> <death>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you get two of those uh, pressure explosions in this movie. It's really gross. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event for the linear,
0: legitimate, and universally recognized, undisputed yeah. classic. Freebie and the Bean.
1: <laughs> Why That's did I right. do this? This is the this is worse than the than the than the burnt offerings because it's James Con and Alan Alda. <laughs> Arkin. Arkin. <laughs> if this were Alan Alda, this might not be that bad. Um, probably would be. <laughs> <laughs> he might not be. Might not be pretending to be Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie Harper. Boy, that was awkward. Wow. Yeah. That was. Uh, that was breakfast at Tiffany's. Bad.
0: Uh- <laughs> Different time. <laughs> Kinda. <laughs>
1: <laughs> always wrong, no matter. It was a, I know care. it was always wrong. Uh, this is essentially what what was described to me as the first buddy cop movie. And uh, there's an argument there between this and another movie that maybe that other movie came out first. I don't know. I don't even remember the name of that other movie. And I researched this, <laughs> so uh, here they have. We have. We're basically just jump right into this. There's no setup. You're just in it with these two guys who are investigating a guy who moves money for bad people and they're trying to nail him and that guy's got people trying to kill him and they've got to try and keep him alive until they have all their evidence to to arrest him and take down other people um this movie's bad it's bad like james Con and alan arkin you know are fine uh for the most part the
0: yeah, their chemistry is not great. Not
1: great. Like, you can tell that they're not friends uh, away from this. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, this is, there's a lot of action in this movie, a lot of action scenes, a lot of repetitive chase scenes, uh, lots of, you know, tough guy posturing that would go on to be refined further in other buddy cop movies. This is not something, though, that I would see as being all that influential, uh, I mean, I know it's two cops, and one of them is supposedly of another race. <laughs> but uh, this is not. Uh, Le- Lethal Weapon is not influenced in any way by this movie, I don't think. I don't think it takes anything from that. <laughs> I think uh, yeah. This movie's far too shitty. <laughs> not that Lethal Weapon is great art, but it, it has its own thing. That's
0: definitely the bar. I mean, even 48 hours is better
1: than this. Yeah, I would say. <laughs>
0: Which I mean, Forty Eight Hours is below, so I shouldn't say that.
1: Which will even. be a classic later this year.
0: Yeah, I it's. I was kind of excited about it because I like Alan Arkin and James Conn and it.
1: Just, yeah, we've uh, not had much experience outside of the Godfather of the uh, of the whole of James Conn.
0: And I'm one. It's kind of he's basically sunny in this movie, more or less. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the ending, I guess, is okay. It's way more gruesome than I thought it would be. You know, you <laughs> don't see Mel Gibson just shooting a guy to death. Yeah. And, like, him blowing up in the bathroom or whatever. But at the same time, it was just kind of, I don't know, just, it was almost like, I'm, it's amazing that it came before all these movies, because it's kind of like Tango and Cash Bad, only not as fun. <laughs> You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's yeah. that's how that's it's the Stallone Kurt Russell chemistry almost. Even worse than that.
1: Even worse than that cuz cuz you'll buy Russell and or, and Stallone as tough guys. I don't buy Alan Arkin as a tough guy in any way. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just years of seeing him in other roles, but and, he's just not tough.
0: And I'll be honest, I don't I didn't really know much about him until he was old. And yeah. that's when I started liking a lot of his movies, so I don't know <laughs> I don't know the young Alan Arkin that much. Uh I don't know. I was just kind of disappointed. I wanted this to be better than it was. It's funny. I was, yeah, that's, the
1: hope was when I chose this as a classic was that it would be some kind of secret, like uh, uh, secret great movie that's right. been hiding you know from the rest of the world. Like, okay, we get to discover this and bring it to the light once more, and people will see that this is great. Richard Rush is a good director. He goes on to direct the Stuntman. Uh, actually, got the Stuntman made because. Uh, Peter O'Toole actually read this script and didn't and didn't hate it.
0: (laughs) I could see the script not being horrible, you know, because it's not when you're reading it. You're not reading "white guy plays Mexican," you know. You're you're reading the story. (laughs) Not not seeing Valerie
1: Harper as a Mexican woman, (laughs) right?
0: That's what I mean. And you don't. You're not
1: (laughs) because as as offensive as it is with Alan Arkin, he's not so much of a stereotype. Whereas Valerie Harper is essentially playing the the Breakfast at Tiffany's version of a Mexican woman. (laughs) Right. I, oh, it's awful. It's so bad. It's so cringe. And
0: then just because, I mean, the chemistry was bad, but I could see that dialogue rating well on a page. Yeah. And
1: well, and that's the thing, too, is that uh, Khan and Arkin, they, they hated the action of this they wanted it to be about their characters and their and their interaction, and that's what they felt that they signed on for was a movie that was about developing them as characters and their banter. And they thought that was going to be the movie. And then Richard Rush is like, "No, we're making an action movie. We've got all these chases." And so there there was two different energies going into making this, which you can definitely sense when you're watching the movie.
0: But the banter just wasn't good, you know. Even yeah. the, there's a scene where it's supposed to be uncomfortable because it's up high, and, and like I could see. Danny Glover and Mel Gibson knocking that out of the park, or even right. Stallone a Kurt Russell could do better. <laughs> this one would just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it probably a highlight of the movie, I suppose, but it's still not good. Yeah. I don't know. Just kind of bummed. It's funny, because I think we share a we have, like, a podcast Amazon account to watch these movies, and I think you're watching it at the same time I was going to watch it.
1: <laughs> so
0: instead, there was a movie next to it called The Freebie, and I was like, I'll just watch this
1: <laughs> instead <laughs> with
0: Dax Shepard and Katie Asselton about a <laughs> married couple who want to explore. Yeah. I didn't finish it.
1: Like, <laughs> the <laughs> First of all, the, the title is also based in, in racism because essentially he's Mexican and they call him Bean, Bean. Beaner. Yeah, awful. That uh, they don't even kind of really go into the freebie thing, which is kind of there. I mean, because he kind of gets at it in one scene, because he's a guy who likes to being a cop so he can use as being a cop to get free stuff. That's why people call him right. freebie, which includes him getting free stuff off of prostitutes. But then again, that's only kind of alluded to. It's not explored and thus it just comes off as a silly title and, and you don't really even understand his nickname all that well unless you're like me and you did, a lot of research into what it was supposed to be about.
0: <laughs> what it was supposed to be about.
1: <laughs> what his character? I name know, is. I know, yeah. but
0: that's funny. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what this movie is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can say I've seen another James Conn movie. I mean, I like Santa Slay better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't. I Less offensive. I'm, I'm wondering because uh, Thief is hanging out there. That's like supposed to be one of his his better performances.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying he's bad. Uh but I mean Sonny's one of the great characters of all time. I mean, is it offensive that he's not Italian at all? I don't know. <laughs> but it's, they've kind of accepted him as an honorary less, Italian. no oh, no I'm not
1: less offensive.
0: Yeah, I'm not trying to go down that than Valerie Harper, which oh, yeah, is that just
1: w- horrific.
0: Right. Yeah, it's just Hogan
1: family <laughs> <laughs> mom pretending to be a Mexican woman.
0: Oof Yikes. But yeah, that's that it that existed. So. <laughs> uh the movie we picked that for was called Downtown. I don't think either one of us saw it.
1: <laughs> no, I know. It's hard to find. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a buddy cop movie, Forrest Whitaker. We were really struggling to try and figure out what a classic could be this week just to go with this group of movies. Uh yeah, something we hadn't seen before or done before, so aliens and kind of underwater movies are kind of out because we've done the, we've the done main a, ones that done people are,
0: a lot of the i can't think of any war movie
1: yeah the war movies I'm i mean sure there could, is, we all didn't. quiet on the western front is like five hours long and well, i'm just never too. just not gonna do that i'm sorry
0: and um a time to kill doesn't need to be a classic
1: <laughs> i honestly forgot whenever we were putting it together uh, i forgot to draw that comparison uh, it's not a classic
0: anyway so yeah. it's fine
1: <laughs> We just had another crash moment. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of don't want to watch it again. I've left it as, yeah. it's, it's not bad.
1: Uh, leave, leave the memories alone.
0: Uh, internal Affairs. Or Internal Affair.
1: Internal Affair is uh, Richard Gere and Andy Garcia. I felt like we watched this last year. <laughs> I might
0: have. Sometimes the numbers is weird. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> the website we use to get our 30-year-old movies.
1: Uh, It felt more familiar, though. uh, It felt familiar while I was watching, and then as it went on, it felt less familiar, which is good, I guess. Uh, But Andy Garcia is an internal affairs cop. He gets uh, assigned to a case that happens to be adjacent to Richard Gere's character, who's kind of a hero cop, but he's also dirty as all get out. He's basically stealing money wherever he can. And uh, the invest—he's in—Ray Liotta is in—Ray Liotta, not—is it—no, it's Andy Garcia. Sorry. (laughs) Another Andy, character, <laughs> Ray Liotta probably played an internal affairs cop in a, in a last year's movie with Richard Gere. Probably uh, <laughs> uh, no, but uh, uh, Andy Garcia begins to investigate uh, Billy Baldwin. His character, and he f- stumbles upon Gear's character and all that he's doing, and it uh, becomes this sort of cat-and-mouse game between the two of them with Gear kind of trying to stay just a step ahead, killing everybody he needs to kill in order to keep people quiet and kind of growing out of control. Uh, this is pretty good. Really? I mean, in terms of just the, uh, a straight-ahead thriller, I mean, Gear is a little bit off because he's just so peaceful, so serene, so quiet, he doesn't necessarily get into the kind of craziness that this role would seem to require. Uh, but, uh, Andy Garcia is intense and exciting. And, uh, he's paired with, uh, uh, uh Roseanne's sister, Jackie, whatever her name is. Oh, Laurie Metcalf. <laughs> Laurie Metcalf. Yeah. And, and despite some awkward dialogue between <laughs> about her, uh, there's, uh, again, it's of its time. Um, there there's a lot of really good stuff between the two of them as partners and and him especially he he's Eddie Garcia was so intense back in the day that his intensity could carry through a scene and and actually carry you over some really bad stuff uh, or you know negligible material because he his intensity is so uh exhilarating and that's what I kind of was drawn to about this movie was just how intense Eddie Garcia is
0: yeah, I mean, I was gonna say with the cast, you got the lesser Baldwin, you got <laughs> basically Michael Douglas. Light really should be Harrison Ford anyway. Between the two of them, <laughs> and I mean, I I can't really think of who you'd put over Andy Garcia, but he always seems to be in that movie that's just a step below everybody else. But it's that's good that it's better than it sounds. <laughs>
1: yeah, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Andy Garcia especially. And I like the I like the choices of the violence that they do here and and gear you know for the way the, for the way his character progresses and the choices that he makes of who he's going to kill and why is not clever but at least it, you 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 have a really strong understanding of what he's doing and how much this is spinning out of his control.
0: Yeah just never been a big Richard Gere guy
1: <laughs> just <laughs> it's always the same
0: character with the exception maybe Chicago uh, but, yeah Uh, the movie that made me realize most horror movies are bad Leatherface <laughs> this Leatherface, is the first the one I Texas saw Chainsaw that three. yeah this is the first one I saw the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie I saw yeah and then kind of the first horror movie I saw where I was just like oh there's like nothing here that's good <laughs>
1: Really short, yeah. really short. Very struggles to get to uh, to get to eighty minutes here. Uh, the Leatherface basically this is kind of negating the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre comedy movie and uh, trying to link back to the first film. The opening crawl uh, essentially says that that uh, Leatherface was able to escape uh, because the other Sawyer was arrested, and they said that it was a that Leatherface was an alternate ego of his and so they didn't believe that the guy with the with the chainsaw actually existed uh, basically he's found a new family with uh, two new two guys who are, act like his brothers and a woman who acts like his mom which you know again is totally not in the way that uh, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre works because you know there was <laughs> the lack of feminine energy is what drew what drove them in the first movie uh, so this movie clearly doesn't care or understand about that. Uh, it wants to be gruesome, and it's not really that gruesome. Uh, the The guy who wrote it uh, writes books that are apparently very, very gruesome, like all about you know painting gory pictures in your head, but here he doesn 't really do all that much that 's all that gruesome i mean yeah there 's a a lake full of bodies, and there 's a couple of scenes of bodies being pulled out of the ground, but you don 't really see the actual like really super gross stuff like there 's one moment that's a, that should be super gruesome where this they use this contraption to break a guy 's head. Uh, and you don't even get to see it. You just hear the impact of it. You don't get to see it, whereas you saw it, and you'll see it in other movies. Not that I wanted to see it, but, I mean, it just... Right. The movie is, is kind of bloodless. Uh, there's the, the most visceral moment is there. Uh, Viggo Mortensen's hammer just nails through the hands of uh, the, the lead girl played by Kate Hodge, and that's really the most gruesome moment of the movie, the, the bloodiest, even, uh, of the movie. Uh Ken is in here, who is a, a kind of a horror movie legend from the uh Night of the Living Dead series. Um he's alright. Uh, I don't see how his character survives. <laughs> <laughs> when you when your head is basically touched on a on a running chainsaw, it just seems like that's not something you get get away from. But nevertheless, uh, yeah. this, the, this movie was changed a lot in the editing. Right. Like The edit, the first ending of this movie was much more gruesome uh, and and did have uh, like uh, uh, a much, uh, I don't want to call it satisfying because I, I don't know what a satisfying ending this would be, but it was one that was not as optimistic.
0: <laughs> Which is almost what you have to do with a movie like this if you want it to be good. I, I, this one runs into that whole, how do we make money? Let's turn this character from Texas Chancellor Mascara, make him jason or freddie i mean up until this point he really wasn't i mean he kind of is but they just wanted it to they wanted this basically turn a character into a jason and yeah. make money off of it and that's why you have all the changes that's why this guy who wrote the books you know not this book but you know he wrote books that are gruesome probably didn't get what he wanted to do you just had a lot of people probably saying we need to do this this and this to make money
1: yeah And, And, and yeah, this was definitely made with the idea of a a franchise in mind centered around making Leatherface into Michael Myers, Freddy, and Jason.
0: And that's what's so frustrating about it. Uh, I don't know. I just...
1: Because Leatherface in the first film was very singular. It's a very singular, almost believable character.
0: Right. And it's part of a family. You know, it's not just... It's beyond him. And uh, the bloodlessness there is, one, out of necessity, but two, it adds to it maybe that was part of what well there was no blood in that one let's try to do it i don't, really don't know but all i know is they kind of failed more than they didn't and it just it's always kind of been that movie that's the first one where i was like, like even like the when i saw friday the 13th for the first time i was like holy shit this is scary i'm covering my eyes under the covers and uh this one was just kind of i, I don't know i just kind didn't of silly yeah, yeah.
1: I, I guess the idea here was to, and they don't really, they do a better job in the documentary about the making of this movie, selling this idea than they do in the movie. Uh, but the idea was to, like, uh, to mirror the, at the time, the new modern family, which is the family that you bring together yourself as opposed to the family that you always had. And we don't even really learn how, like, these people came to work with Leatherface, like, how they came to be in his orbit. Like, Leatherface doesn't seem to be the type of character who, would be open to bringing in new people, <laughs> but at some point, I guess he, he he must have raped one of his victims and had a child, who's to, a creep. And I guess because that's you know a nice marketing tool is to have a oh we got a creepy child in this one, and then how you bring in Vigo Mortensen's character and the brother character. Uh, and the mother character—where did she come from? How do you—how did she end up in this situation? They, these are intriguing questions that the movie doesn't have an answer to. And maybe there's a much more interesting movie in how this group of people actually came to be in the same place as Leatherface and him willingly adopting them as his family. That's a, probably a more, more interesting thing than just lining up another series of victims and and brutalizing them.
0: Yeah, I will say the documentaries for these movies, all of them, are pretty interesting, and I know one and two uh, were just so frustrating. I don't think anybody enjoyed making those movies, but they just kind of, I don't know. It's And it sounds like this one was pretty frustrating too, and I don't know, it, It's when you start to get outside of the main artist and you start bringing in business people, that's when movies suffer, and this is a perfect example of that, and
1: yeah, and it, and it just goes to show that Toby Hooper is one of the more unsung visionaries of all time. You know, this just goes to show that you can't just take what he did and and, and do it yourself. Um, he, he was singular. He's, a, he's an artist. He's an auteur. And as much as he may have re- rejected that idea about himself, he was. He was a yeah. visionary.
0: Oh, yeah. And you look at Texas, too they say they you know the business people come to him oh i want to make some more money and he just basically does the opposite of what they want <laughs> it's a giant middle finger which makes it it just i don't know that helps the movie be great for some reason in a different kind of way just because it's the way he's going about it it's just silly and then there's ski patrol <laughs>
1: Which is a, uh, it's much more PG than I was aware of. This is really lame. Uh, I didn't know George Lopez was in this. George Lopez (laughs) is in this movie. Uh, basically, it's your, it's your typical, you know, save the mountain story. You know, their, their mountain is threatened by a super rich developer played by Martin Mull, and they've got to do, they've got to party real hard to save their, uh, to save their mountain, and then they've got to be really responsible in the last minute to you know, show that they can be responsible and still party.
0: <laughs> you can't save so. the mountain without a bikini car wash. You know. <laughs> I don't care how cold it is.
1: <laughs> it's a very PG movie, though, uh, and really lame. Uh, not for being PG, just, just lame right. in general. T.K. Carter, oh boy, that guy is embarrassing to watch. Uh, he does impressions that are just... Awful, But the rest of the cast is directed to make it seem like, oh, my God, that's ingenious. He just went from Stevie Wonder to James Brown to Michael Jackson on the stretch of one song that's not by any of those guys. <laughs> and wow, it's so impressive. No, it really isn't. It's not impressive. Paul Feig is in this movie, by the way, <laughs> the director. Jeez. He plays the uh, the nerdy virgin guy who has to be uh, de-virginized. Makes sense. <laughs> by the uh, Russian exchange... Ski patroller, which is a, uh, a trope for sure. Uh,
0: We're been better in an eighties version, though. <laughs> uh, I mean, eighty nine through like ninety two is just a weird time in pop culture because that's when you're really getting that switch from the just the glitz and glam to the you know the grungy kind of. I don't know.
1: Hollywood had, even Hollywood had even co-opted the the raunchy movies at this point. They'd ta- they'd they'd taken the the blood out of Porky's and right. <laughs> and we're now remaking it and repackaging it for for PG audiences.
0: And they're, you know they're trying to figure out where to where the next step is, and really like when '94 hits or is when it really takes off or like I, Pulp Fiction and whatnot. I could
1: so see the pitch meeting for this in the player. Like, what if we did Animal House? But they're ski patrollers. <laughs> and Tim Robbins just with his feet up on his desk going, great idea. <laughs> Who's got the Coke? What year is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. I
0: feel like it's going to be a weird year for the, yeah. like, 89 was pretty weird. But this is really when it's going to start to get even more weird. There'll be some great movies, though, that come out.
1: It'll be interesting. You yeah. uh, know, I've been looking ahead a lot and, there's not a lot out there. <laughs> this is a weird, weird year. Like the looking ahead to the next week of 1990 movies is, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre set of movies. Yeah,
0: for uh, sure. Yeah, I mean next week we've got for new movies, Bad Boys for Life and Doolittle, some more IPs, uh, classic Bad Boys, uh, another buddy cop movie.
1: Yeah, we're doing Bad Boys because Bob's never seen it. Yeah, which trying to
0: watch it twice this weekend. Oh yeah fell asleep whole time <laughs> now granted i put it on at like midnight and laid down right but uh i saw the scene where they right off the bat with the car and drops the fry down and then i fell asleep shortly thereafter but <laughs> uh the 30 year old movies we got tremors brain dead everybody wins street and cinema paradiso
1: i feel like somebody's tried to tell me that brain dead is like some kind of secret uh, horror classic
0: Let's look at Rotten Tomatoes real quick and see what the audience <laughs> thinks. versus. What I have no idea
1: thinks. what everybody wins is, but Deborah Winger was everywhere in 1990, uh, just in every kind of movie. As I've been looking ahead a lot, uh, putting together our list of movies for the year, and,
0: and Tremors is always fun.
1: <laughs> people love it. Uh, people, I've I've never understood the the cult around Tremors. It doesn't do anything for me, but I'll take another look at it. <laughs>
0: Holy shit! Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton were in the same movie.
1: I know. How will you tell them apart?
0: I know. Then <laughs> it's man. Audience score seventy. Critics scored seventeen. So
1: ah, oh, well, interesting. It? Well, hopefully it's available. I want to see it.
0: Yeah, that should what's be the fun? premise?
1: Do you see the? Do you have the premise?
0: The premise. A neuroscientist is hired to perform experimental surgery on a once brilliant, now institutionalized mathematician in the hopes of retrieving some valuable data. Something goes wrong, however, and the surgeon soon finds himself deep within a nightmarish world of reality shifts and strange happenings in the science fiction thriller. Weird. So I imagine Bill
1: Pullman's going to be the straight man. <laughs> Bill Pullman's the doctor. Yeah.
0: And from the picture, his face looks all fucked up. And I don't know who Bill Paxton is.
1: I'm guessing he's the mathematician.
0: Either that or Bud Court is.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Bud Cort! really?
0: He's the number two guy on the cast. Wow. George Kennedy is in it.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I did not mention this when we were doing Freebie of the Bean, but for some reason, Loretta Swit from MASH is listed as the like the third lead of the movie, and she's in two minutes of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> she has, like, one little, like, speech at the end, and that is it. And it's not necessary at all. And she was like, MASH wasn't even a thing yet. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, I keep forgetting this that wasn't a nineteen ninety movie. <laughs> I'm trying to like <laughs> swear to God Match was around before that. <laughs> no, freebie of the I beat. know, I know. <laughs> uh Kyle Gas from Tenacious D's and Brain Dead.
1: Really? Oh wow.
0: I'm sure it's just an extra, but
1: Proto Kyle Gas. Uh
0: yeah, I'm c- kinda looking forward to that one and I've never seen Sin Paradies, so when I hear people talk about that, like it's yeah, uh amazing movie. Uh, that is our show, though. I do want to thank our Patreon supporters for supporting the podcast. At the Key Grip level, we've got Jason Bryant. At the, the Craft Services level, Zach Codemaker At the Character Actor level, we have Christina Cato, Josh and Beth Paul, and Cousin Jeff. Then at the Special Effects level, Corey Finnerin. If you want to be a supporter, I hate critics on slash Patreon, the best way to help support the podcast. And then obviously the podcast merch, keep an eye on that. We'll also be throwing it all over our, our Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, critics pod is the handle. Uh, and then like us on YouTube, subscribe and hit that little thumbs up button and send the notifications to you. So you know, whenever the YouTube videos pop up so you can watch them there. Uh, Otherwise we'll see you next week. Wanna play Flick Shirt?
1: Sure, yeah, that sounds good.
0: Uh okay, let's see what we got here. Elf Johnny English.
1: Ooh. Uh ooh, pick your poison. Um
0: Elf isn't that poisonous.
1: <laughs> Elf, I guess.
0: Bicentennial man, Batman eighty nine.
1: Batman eighty nine.
0: Avengers Infinity War, Ace Ventura Pet Detective.
1: Uh, Avengers. Really? Yeah, I'm not a big, big Ace Ventura fan.
0: Do you like Infinity War? I can't remember.
1: I don't even remember how much, if I, whether I liked it or not. I like it more than Ace Ventura.
0: Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> Super Troopers, Uncle Buck.
1: Oh, Jesus. What the hell? Uh,. Uncle Buck, I guess, because Super Troopers is balls.
0: <laughs> I'm with you. Gravity or Mamma Mia? Gravity. Greed. Footloose or Rocky III?
1: Uh I think I'd watch Rocky Three first. first.
0: <laughs> As would I. And they're both kind of, which movie would you watch yeah. first? movie of the ones.
1: <laughs> great.
0: <laughs> Juwan or Michael Clayton?
1: Michael Clayton. That's actually a pretty underrated movie.
0: Yeah, well, Juan's an overrated movie. <laughs> Go 1999 or the Blair Witch Project.
1: Blair Witch, but I really like Go as well.
0: Yeah. Cool Runnings 93, Back to the Future 3.
1: Cool Runnings.
0: I agree, although I do like Back to the Future 3 better than 2. The Big Lebowski or Brazil?
1: Big Lebowski.
0: <laughs> they came together. Alien 3.
1: Which ones they came together? It's
0: Paul Rudd and Amy Rudd. Oh,
1: yeah. That's actually a pretty funny <laughs> movie. What was the other choice?
0: Alien 3. David Fincher, kind of. <laughs> I'll,
1: go. They, I'll go they came together.
0: I agree. It's Oblivion, Shrek 2.
1: Uh, Let's see. Which one is which? Uh, it's Shrek 2.
0: Oh, good. I thought we were going to have to flip for that one.
1: <laughs> I don't really remember Oblivion that well, other than it's Tom Cruise. Right.
0: Richie Rich, Judge Dread, 95.
1: <laughs> Whew, Jesus. Want
0: well, to just flip for fun?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll flip for my choice and George's. Heads.
0: Richie Rich. There you go. Son of Godzilla, 1967. Have you seen that one?
1: <laughs> no.
0: All right. Casablanca, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Casablanca. Thought a little too long on that. Yeah, one.
1: I don't know why I did.
0: The Fountain '06, The Hobbit '1977.
1: <laughs> the Fountain is far more daring, <laughs> if bad. But
0: Apollo 13, The Man with the Golden Gun.
1: Uh, I, I Apollo 13. I'm I'm in the minority of people who don't hate that movie.
0: I don't hate it. I just don't love it. I've the
1: minority that... of snobs who don't hate that movie. <laughs>
0: Event Horizon, The Breakup.
1: Uh, The Breakup, yeah. I hate Event Horizon.
0: I hate Event Horizon, but I like The Breakup better. Apollo 13, Panic Room.
1: Uh, Panic Room.
0: Yeah. 101 Dalmatians, Wild Things. 96 Dalmatians, by the way. I think the (sighs) Clint Close one.
1: Wild Things for only the embarrassing reasons.
0: Kevin Bacon, I agree. <laughs> the Fly, 1986, Broken Arrow,
1: 1996. Uh, God. I find The Fly to be a movie that I find hard to watch, which I guess maybe is to the film's credit in some ways. Uh, I guess it's a better movie. <laughs>
0: You don't find Broken Arrow hard to watch.
1: <laughs> no, I find Broken Arrow very easy to watch. John Travolta is a, is kind of magnetic. Is as terrible as he is. It's bad. He had, both he and Christian Slater are bad. But that movie has a sort of a bad movie magnetism to it. When he's delivering that speech at the end, so, you know, when the bomb is on the train, and he's just going full out, balls out, crazy. I kind of enjoy the movie. <laughs> That's when
0: I was kind of like, "Up, I guess the comeback's over." <laughs> but you are right it is a magnetic bad thing god why are they putting stand up specials in here alright Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides 2011 or Transformers Revenge of the Fallen
1: Uh, anything's better than Transformers
0: Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas Uh, Castle in the Sky 1986 looks like a foreign film
1: I don't recognize it
0: Fear and Loathing The Bone Collector Fear and loathing. X-Men 2000, The Count of Monte Cristo.
1: Count of Monte Cristo. It's not a terrible
0: movie. X-Men's not a movie. (laughs) 2012 or The Graduate.
1: (laughs) I'm not the biggest fan of The Graduate, but it's better than 2012.
0: I'm with you. Free Willy, The Negotiator.
1: The Negotiator. So watchable.
0: Fortunately. Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny get smart.
1: Tenacious D. I actually
0: watched that recently.
1: <laughs> I find myself drawn to watch that movie, even though it's not a movie, really.
0: Right. White Men Can't Jump, Rocky Five.
1: White Men Can't Jump.
0: Agreed. <sighs> Frosty the Snowman, 1969 or (laughs) Watchmen.
1: Frosty the Snowman. Oh, fuck you.